At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We've all seen Hindi movies and the masala movies usually about twins getting separated and then they finally meet each other. Uh, but it was not so like in my story, but it just definitely felt like a masala movie because it was so strange that something like this would happen to me. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora, and I am very excited to introduce my guest today. She is somebody who I have known for many, many years, first as a friend and then as a classical feng shui consultant and a metaphysics advisor, which sounds very important and is very important. This is Priya Sabarwal. She joins me today from Hong Kong. Hi, Priya. Hi, Rini. Nice to meet you here. So great to see you here. And oh my God, it takes a podcast recording for us to get together, which is, that doesn't... Crazy. Yes, beyond crazy. That said, I'm very, very excited um, not just to talk about your feng shui business. Of course, that is always very exciting because you have helped me so much (laughs) with it. And I know you've been helping loads of people. But also to talk about your personal story, something that I had no idea about until very recently. You know, (laughs) yeah, I guess. No spoilers. We'll get into that. That's the subject of the episode. But um, before we get into your personal story, tell us a little bit more about your feng shui life. When I, not when I first met you, but when you first started it, that was years after I had gotten to know you. You started out in Hong Kong. Is that right? Hong Kong, Singapore? Yes, that's right. Absolutely right. Yeah, it's been six, seven years now since I started my company here. And what is your company? What is a metaphysics advisor? So my company is called Disha Limited. And it's essentially a feng shui company. But uh, I wanted to have an Indian name for it. And as you know, Disha means direction. So I thought it was a very apt name for a feng shui company. Absolutely. Now, Disha means direction. It is very much, you know, an Indian name. But I have to ask you right off the bat, India has its own, not its own feng shui, but we have Vastu Shastra, which is similar. Is that right? right. So how come you didn't go for that? What drew you to feng shui? Well, I've been in Southeast Asia for the past 16 or 17 years now. And then I had an opportunity to study from great teachers and masters and seafood. So that's how it just started. I mean, I guess if I was in India, maybe I would have gone down that route. 
But I happened to be here and I had uh, the proximity of being here in you know, China, KL, Singapore. So that's why, I guess. Yeah. Excellent. And you say it, you've been doing this for six, seven years. How has it evolved? Has it changed? Has your approach changed? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, we kind of approach it from a very um, practical way. So we try to make sure that, you know, it's goal oriented and um, it's easy to do because a lot of my clients here don't have their own homes. They live in rented apartments. So we try to make sure we tap into the energy based on that. We kind of use it like a Wi-Fi. That's the best way to really describe it. What does that mean? The feng shui is like, um, I mean, the best way to describe it is to tap into the energy or the chi like of Wi-Fi. So where do you get maximum bars, right? Hmm. So sometimes you have a phone and you don't get a good signal. So you just kind of go to another room and you get a good signal. So in the same way, feng shui as well, we're just trying to tap into the best energies of the year. So I have to ask then, I mean, that sounds like, okay, I, I get the phone analogy. Uh, you know, if my bars are not strong enough, I can walk to somewhere else and get, you know, more energy. But I can't do that in a home. I may be able to do that in, let's say, the borders the, or the confines of my home. But if my home has bad energy, for example, I can't just change homes. So how does that work? No, you can't. So, um, to be very honest, 70 or 80% of feng shui comes from the external to the internal. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you're right, absolutely right. If the external is not good, I mean, whatever you do in the house, you're not going to be able to tap so much of the good feng shui energies. But uh, having whatever we have in our home and assuming we have a good external, like we do have in Hong Kong, and I think in San Francisco as well, you would have that. It's not that difficult. I mean, we don't need to spend hours and hours, like assuming you have a project or you have a, you want to get a particular client or you want to network. Even if you spend like 10 or 15 minutes sending emails or uh, networking from a particular location, it should work. So I want to dig into what you just said. You said that you have good energies in Hong Kong and perhaps in San Francisco as well. What do you mean by that? I mean, we have natural mountains here. So feng shui is all about, um, uh, you know, wind and water. That's what essentially it means. Feng meaning wind, shui meaning water. And mountains play a very important role because they work as the antennas, actually. Similar to the towers that you need for uh, the signals of uh, uh, Wi-Fi, the mountains are actually the antennas. So it's where the energy is stacked from the planets and then through wind, it comes down and settles at the base of water. So if you have a natural environment with good mountains and natural water, you are automatically in good feng shui locations. So all islands or coastal areas have good feng shui? Well, all of them, actually, they're not all flat land. If you notice, even places like Singapore, where you would assume it's flat, it does have a lot of mountainy area. It doesn't not have. It's just that we need to be more trained to see it. So does that mean that if I live in the middle of the country on flat land, I am just doomed? No, you're not. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> no, you're not. There are very many other ways of looking at things. But I'm just saying the natural, the original form mm -hmm. of feng shui originates from that. 
And if you do have the natural landforms like this, it's a lot easier to tap in. And what if I don't? Then, it's, I mean, I mean, you can, but it's not going to be that easy or that effective. Hmm. So how do you work with people in different parts of the world and people who don't live in these hilly areas with water? Um, so um, actually, there's a water function as well. So there are many formulas with water as well. So we use those. I do have a lot of clients who don't live in Hong Kong, who are I mean, in Dubai, India, New York. But um, the best is actually if I can go to their homes or offices and take the measurements myself with the compass. But if not, then I depend on the client to give me a couple of uh, degrees through their phone compass. And then I kind of cross check it with Google Maps and uh, we just start off. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, this is something that uh, it's not static, right? It changes every year. I mean, we have just about started the year of the dragon and it's new this year. Is that right? Yes, you're absolutely right. So there are two kinds of feng shui. One is an evergreen feng shui, which is basically based on um, the environment. And it's like once done, it's done for life. And then there is this dynamic one, which we change based on the flying stars of the year. So as you said, that this year is 2024, it's the year of the wood dragon. So we're tapping into those sectors based on that. Can you give us any tips as to what that means, the year of the wood dragon and what it means for us? Yeah. So the first thing I just wanted to point out is a lot of people are mistaken that the dragon actually has any physical dragon-like connotation. No. The year of the dragon, I mean, and the dragon essentially is basically an earth energy. Mm -hmm. So if you were to think of the dragon, literally, you would think of a nice, big, huge mountain. Hmm. And the wood dragon is basically like a tree on a dragon. But this year, I would say the best areas to really use are the southwest of your home and the east. Uh, they're really good areas to use. And the uh, southwest uh, would have star nine, which is for happiness, advancement, promotion, uh, happy events. I mean, we all love that. And uh, the east is got star one, which is really good for networking, finding leads, you know. Any kind of work that you do, even your home, you need that. Does that go for all of us? Yes, yes, that's generic. Those are the two great sectors for the year. All right, everyone, please take note. Make sure you are now sending emails from the east to the southwest, then going to the southwest to pick them up and send them back to the east. (laughs) (laughs) Priya, it is fascinating. You know how much I love this stuff. But I want to uh, switch gears and... Talk about this book. You know what? Instead of me saying what it's about, why don't you tell us what this book is about and what your story is in this book? Okay. So this book, My Voice, is uh, I think the various volumes, but this one, uh, the volume that we have, and all of them have essays or short stories by women, women writers, and they're based on their experiences or true events. So my story per se is about uh, adoption. So I found out at the age of 21 that I was adopted. And before that, I had no idea. I had no clue at all. So it was kind of like a surprise to me. And um, there was like a lot of emotional baggage that I had with it because it was so many unresolved issues. And uh, when I turned 50 and my parents had passed, I thought it would be a good time to write about it. And it really helped. 
it really helped me a lot. Hmm. Now, finding out at such a late age, well, late, late or early, that just depends, right, on, you know, how you look at it. But 21, you're a full-grown adult and it must have come as a huge shock. How did you find out and what went through you? What kind of emotions did you face? So, um, it was actually very random. My parents never really spoke about it at all. I had no way of knowing. I had no clue, no cousins, no friends. Nobody had ever mentioned it. Um, but I had gone for a family holiday with my parents to um, Colombo. And we had this elderly uncle there who was distantly related to my father. And when my parents had gone for uh, dinner, he just said, so have your parents contacted you? So I said, like, you did just gone out for dinner. He was like rather senior citizen and a bit senile. So I said, they just gone out for dinner. He said, no, no, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about your real parents. Have they ever contacted you? So, I mean, I was a bit confused um, and I was very uncomfortable. I didn't say anything. I just walked off. And the next morning, I asked my mother that because I, I was just tossing and turning and it was just, I had an awful night and I thought she was going to deny it and say he's crazy. But then she kind of hugged me and said that, you know, I'm so glad, you know, it's a big relief. I've been wanting to tell you for a long time, but we just never thought it was the right time. Earlier, you were too young. You were a kid. Then we were worried you were a teenager and uh, we just never found the right time. So now you know it. And how did you react? Did you react? Yeah, it was a bit crazy. Like, um, it was, um, it was a very strange thing. Like, my parents never wanted to speak about it, particularly my father, because it was a very emotional issue and very touchy. And, um, I think they just thought that, um, there was nothing to discuss that I was happy. I was settled. There was nothing lacking in my life. So there was no reason for me to ask those questions or want to really know. So um, I think, I mean, they came from a place of love. You met my parents a couple of times, I think. We were your parents and my par- and I were neighbors. So you had met my parents. Absolutely. Yes, I've absolutely met your parents. After this revelation came to you, did they change their tack? That, did your father change his tack then? Was he more open to talking about it after that? Or No, not at all. He just hated talking about it and... It was just, um, there was not, I mean, so many times I wanted to find out, um, you know, like I guess anybody would want to know their biological uh, background, what this, and I, it turned out, and that's why I t- titled my uh, story Masala Movie, because I found out that I have a twin brother. So, um, you know, like you, we've all seen Hindi movies and the Masala movie is usually about twins getting separated and then they finally meet each other. Uh, but it was not so like in my story, but it just definitely felt like a Masala movie because it was so strange that something like this would happen to me. Mm. Did you ever make contact with your family of origin? Oh, uh, well, I tried, but there's really no way to find out, like, as you know, um, now it's uh, 50 and 53. So those many years ago, there weren't really any proper records as such, you know, and the hospital where I was born and the records were that's also shut down. So no, they don't. And they have a lot of um, 
a red tape, you can't really find out. So the people who I did get in touch somewhat, I mean, there were really no leads as such. So how did you find out as much as you did, even about your twin brother or anything else? Uh, we went to, I sent somebody to the hospital to uh, see the birth records and that's how I found out. And then I asked my parents about it and uh, they said, yeah, that's true. So apparently my birth mother had twins and she died at childbirth. So like how it is typically in India, the male child, uh, the father took and the female child was given up for adoption. Mm-hmm. My gosh. It's not an uncommon story, actually. Yeah, it it isn't an uncommon story at all. But still, it must have come as a shock to you uh, before oh, anyone absolutely. else. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, why were your parents so uncomfortable, especially your father, talking about this, do you think? Because obviously, your mother died at childbirth, like you said. So I'm not sure. I mean, I can't answer for him. But uh, I think um, it was just um, possessive love mm. or just feeling that my, uh, you know, h- how I would react. Would I have some kind of loyalty? For th- I'm not sure. I can just speculate. But I think in those days, I mean, even my cousins, when I asked my cousins who are older than me, and of course, they would know something. They said the same thing. They said, why would you even want to know? I mean, you've had such a blessed, loving life. There's no reason for you to be doing that. And what did you feel? Did you feel that you should have known, that you wanted to know? I think it was my right to know. I think everybody has a right to know. And it kind of gives closure. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sure it does. Why did you wait until your parents had both passed in order to come out with the story? And how did that opportunity come about? Oh, it was very strange, actually. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, um, you know, it's a twist of fate. So a friend of mine, Neera, who is one of the publishers of the book, she has adopted two kids, you know, and um, she shared her journey that how hard it was for her to conceive and then how she, you know, had adopted one child and then she went back to Singapore to adopt another child. And then I happened to tell her that and she was telling me a couple of the challenges she faced. Um, and then I shared my story with her and then she was really surprised about it. She said, I've heard of so many people who have who are adopting kids, but I don't know anybody of your age who is already adopted and has something to share. So she, in fact, then encouraged me to write about it. And um, I I wasn't really sure at that time. And it took me like a year or two to think about it. And then I would, as I said, when I was 50 and my parents had passed, I thought it was a good time for closure. I mean, I wrote it just for myself, actually. So you wrote the story yourself. It's not like you had a, a writer write it for you. Is that right? No, no. It's a very simple story. A very simple story. I mean, okay. (laughs) (laughs) The book is called My Voice. That's right. And is it all stories of adoption? No, it's all stories of women's personal journeys. I mean, or challenges they face. And adoption is just one of them. I see. Were there other stories about adoption in the book? Not that I know of, no. I see. Well, typically on this show, we 
trace the journey from nonfiction to fiction. So the, this interview portion is the nonfiction. And one of our fiction writers would listen to it and develop a fictional piece. But this is so compelling. I think we have to ask you to read from your story. Would you be up for that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm heading to Portugal. I'm heading there soon. I got to learn the language. So I'm thinking about going for Rosetta Stone's language learning program. Why you ask? Because they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and something like 25 languages offered. And they don't believe in English translations. So you really learn to speak, listen and think in that language. In my case, that's Portuguese. So if you're thinking of learning a language, don't put it off. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, True Fiction Project listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Today, guys. There's been no direct communication since the adoption process took place to an agency. In their eyes, my parents, there seemed no reason for me to even know or want to know any detail as I was their daughter in every sense. As far as my parents were concerned, that was the end of the discussion. But was it really? At the age of 21, when you discover that all that you had believed in and arrogantly taken for granted was simply not true, I felt betrayed. I had a dark secret about my origin something which must never be discussed, an unspoken rule, with anyone ever. This weighed heavily on me. To the outside world, I seemed the same, but internally I went into a shell. Clearly, this skeleton in the closet was something to be ashamed of, which is why it was off-limits for discussion. How would people view me now? Did they already know the truth about me? Were they laughing behind my back? I felt like an imposter leading a fake life. Through some amateur investigation, I discovered that my biological mother had given birth to twins and died after childbirth. The biological father took the son, my twin brother, and gave up the female child, that's me, for adoption. Even that scant information was hard to find, I had no support or resources. It was also done in the most clandestine manner since my parents had passive-aggressively avoided any further discussion on this topic. An acquaintance helped me as I was too scared and intimidated to go to the hospital myself to find my birth certificate. Thirty years ago, there was no internet or email. Even now, it's not easy getting any sensitive information online in India, especially old documents or papers. Overnight, my life as I knew it had been transformed into an unbelievable Hindi movie. A masala one at that. Masala movies are typical of melodrama, a favorite being twins spotted at birth, growing up in different environments, 
plenty of heartache and drama and finally reunited with together at the end would my end be similar like any only child i had always yearned to have a sibling especially an older brother the knowledge of actually having a twin brother certainly threw me off since i couldn't find any further information using traditional methods i consulted astrologers reiki masters brahmins aura readers nadi shastra all of whom said that there was a block and they were unable to tell me more they advised me that it was perhaps destined that i was not supposed to know after a year of self imposed emotional isolation i finally opened up to a dear friend She had said something was not quite right, seen through my facade, and repeatedly prodded me to discuss whatever was disturbing me. Again, the truth kind of blurted itself out. But gosh, what a relief it was to share my dark secret with a non-judgmental, concerned friend. I just wish I had mustered enough courage to do it sooner. It turned out she already knew the story of my adoption. so the indian family friend grape wine but had never ever spoken to me about it since he found it appropriate to initiate a conversation for the longest time even a single scene of a movie news article or casual conversation related to our adoption would leave me teary eyed and flustered it's only now in the recent years that i can speak about my journey confidently Thanks to the love and support of my husband and daughters. Looking back, um, I wish I had received some kind of counseling or support at this crucial juncture of my young life. But during the 90s, that was not quite heard of, especially in India. Not many people discussed their feelings with unknown paid professionals. I was stonewalled and shamed when I attempted to discuss my thoughts and feelings with family members. Why was I even looking in the past? I should only look forward onwards and upwards. I should be grateful for my loving family I already had. Priya, I can just see how writing that and then sharing it with the world would bring closure to something that you have obviously been struggling with for so many years. Thank you. Thanks for hearing my story. Thank you for sharing it because here on this podcast we have such a wide variety of listeners, people who tune in from all over the world. And I think for people who have been adopted, for people who are considering adoption or are related to the idea of adoption in any way shape or form, this is very very meaningful. So I cannot begin to thank you enough. Thank you. So we will most definitely be including links to the book My Voice in our show notes. Let us know where our listeners can find you and your work, Disha Limited or anything else you would like to share. Well, I've sent the link for my website. It has all my details. So that would work. Fantastic. Priya, thank you so much for joining us today on the True Fiction Project. Thank you. And that was Priya Savarwal, feng shui consultant and metaphysics advisor, writer of this particular essay, a very very personal and profound essay about uh, her own experience in the book My Voice and 
more importantly, my very, very old and dear friend. And I am your host, Renita Hora. This is The True Fiction Project. Here at The True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.